Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 125 on Cambodia. The capital of Cambodia is Phnom Penh. And when we go for the actual name, this is going to take a little second to explain. So, the founder of the Kambuja tribe was named Kambu. His descendants moved into what would become Cambodia, and the name of the land was Kampuchea, which was written in French as Kambodji and in English as Cambodia. So the name means the land of the Kambu people because the people are ancestors of the man named Kambu. Some cool facts are that Angkor Wat in Cambodia is the largest religious structure on earth, and it is also the only building that is adorned on a country's flag. Angkor Wat has been around for hundreds of years and has stood the test of time as one of the most visited and stunning places ever built. Cambodia also has millions of active landmines nationwide that have been here since the 90s because of the wars they had with their local neighbors, which we'll get into pretty soon. And some cultural facts before we go straight into the history. Funerals in Cambodia can last almost 50 days because of their deep celebrations that go into it, and Cambodians have used crickets and tarantulas as a source of protein for centuries, and it is still a huge culinary delicacy today. Buddhism is the main religion of the nation, and early Indian influence caused practices to change, and some of them still last today. One of the ones that can be observed is that Cambodians actually wear checkered scarves called kramas instead of straw hats, which are popular in the region for farmers and other outdoor workers. And with all that being said, I'm just going to get right into it. The history of Cambodia goes very deep, and we're going to cover a lot of centuries rather quickly, so let's try and get into this thing. So I'm very glad you guys are here, and I hope you guys enjoy. So one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and this is Cambodia. Let's do this thing. Our origins begin around 4000 BC, which is when the first inhabitants were likely in the land. Very, very, very little is known about these people and the way they moved, survived, all sorts of things like that. But archaeologists have discovered similar genetics to the modern Cambodians in these people and were able to use carbon dating to date the bones to around this time. Evidence from archaeological sites and land impact shows that these people raised ox, farmed and cultivated rice around the region, and may have been the first people in the world to actually cultivate rice because it was happening here long before even some of the ancient Chinese kingdoms, which were some of the earlier claims to the first rice producers. The first Cambodians likely migrated from the north before the first century CE, and Funan was established. It was the oldest regional Hindu culture, and it was built in 680 CE. It lasted until 580 CE. At the end of the 400s and early 500s, East Indian culture started to influence the land. The Kamuja tribe, specifically, moved into the area and shaped the ethnicity of the country forever. India had an absolute monarchy here, and Hinduism was practiced by the people. The people here spoke and written in languages that were influenced by India. Religion was also influenced to Buddhism, and Hinduism had to accept this and live beside it. But in the system here, there was a great gap in wealth because they adopted the same class system as the caste system that was being used in India. And for those that aren't super educated on that, the caste system in India was one of the more prominent ones where people at the bottom of the totem pole of the class were considered untouchables and that being anywhere near them lowered your standing in life. So people were heavily mistreated and it created a huge gap between the bottom classes and the top elite rich class. 
And the elite in this area were owners of farmland and business owners, where the lower class was the people that worked away in these hardly livable conditions and made the rich people rich. And all this is happening while Funan is still in power, and the fall of Funan saw the rise of the Khmer Empire. The Khmer Empire was established in 802, when King Kayavarma II became emperor. This empire dominated the region until 1431. In the early centuries of its rule, the empire expanded its control across most of Indochina. The elite class enslaved thousands across this land and used them as a labor force. The elite lived in grandiose luxury and funded arts and sculptors. So the funding of art and sculptors and all that is the early onset to Cambodia building some really, really serious things, such as the eventual Angkor Wat, which we'll get into pretty soon. Back into history, we have the, the Sri Lankan monks who moved into the land before 1000 CE, and they were the ones that pushed Theravid Buddhism across the empire and eventually would become the main religion of the land. Suryavarman II was the leader that oversaw the construction of Angkor Wat, and he was a devout Buddhist. That's why there's Buddhist idols and faces all across this great structure. Jayavarman II specifically led religious worship of the Hindu god Shiva, and this connected future kings with godly status because now anyone who was a king was connected to this god Shiva, and their rule was seen as much more blessed than previous kings. Another part of the Khmer Empire was also a time where the development of agriculture systems were put in place. The empire started to fund really good irrigation systems and rice distribution systems that caused a whole lot of things to change and made the land grow a lot faster. Jayavarman VII ruled from 1181 to 1218. He was a strong leader that led the empire to its absolute peak of size and success. Jayavarman VII was known for his religious tolerance and support for both Hinduism and Buddhism. The empire was so large under Jayavarman VII that it conquered parts of Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam. Jayavarman VII relocated the capital to Angkor, Thom, and the city was well fortified and served as a center of political and administrative power. He is also credited with building the famous Bayon Temple, which is known for its many towering stone faces and depicting the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshava, which is the idol of compassion in Buddhism. He is also known for implementing policies that aim to improve the welfare of his people, which were things like hospitals being construction and rest houses for farmers and other blue-collar workers. But, as it commonly happens, this great leader was followed by weak ones and the empire slowly declined. Dynastic issues caused by the empire weakening led to a lot of internal instability. Kings would gain power by killing the ruling king, and there was a lot of internal rebellions against the different rulers, so nothing was getting done efficiently because there was so much anger and killing. And after the death of Jayavarman VII, the Khmer Empire experienced a series of internal conflicts, and those, of course, weakened the country. So, succession disputes led to a lot of weak leadership, and made it so that the empire was unable to defend itself. This is what prompted Siam to invade, and the war is not well documented, but we know that Siam took significant chunks of the Khmer Empire's land, and it resulted in the real death of the empire, because now Siam had taken a lot of its ports and things that were very significant to it, and the empire was just not well-funded anymore. It would be after the fall of the Khmer Empire that the name Cambodia is accepted. Of course, I say Cambodia because it's actually Kampuchea, but Cambodia is what we call it in English. And that was set up with its capital at Longvec and was really established around the 1500s. But it was also in this time that the Cambodians started to encroach on Siamese lands and tensions started to rise. Eventually, this grew into the Siamese-Cambodian War from 1591 to 1594. After the war, Cambodian land was partitioned away to Siam once again. The further weakened Cambodia now faced large instability, and everything about the economy was in shambles. 
Vietnam encroached on Cambodia and took land that made it a landlocked nation. This happened at the end of the 1600s and further pushed Cambodia into a deep struggle. By the end of the 1700s, Cambodia had been in struggle for the entire century. The nation was unable to resist the pressures of its neighbors and was partitioned again by Siam in Vietnam, so much so that Cambodia as a state was nearly non-existent. King Norodom, who ruled from 1860 to 1904, made a controversial decision to keep Cambodia going. He allowed Cambodia to be annexed by France so that it would still exist just as a colony rather than a country. The decision to place the nation under French rule is still heavily scrutinized, but what choice did the king really have? After this decision was made, Cambodia became an official protectorate of France. The monarchy was allowed to remain in place, and France ruled the nation in other ways. French rule had some major benefits. The healthcare and railroad systems were built, modern medicine was introduced, and France ended slavery in Cambodia. There was also times where agriculture was advanced and trade networks were expanded. The French also rebuilt parts of Angkor Wat that had been destroyed by both weathering and war. The French were also able to fund a lot of archaeological projects, and one of them was to take the texts within Angkor Wat and actually translate them and give them to the Cambodians. So this allowed Cambodians to understand their culture even more. But there were some very harsh effects that France did have on the nation despite all these apparent positives. France extracted resources from Cambodia and issued harsh taxes on the people. They also appointed a system called Corvi, which was forced labor for the lower classes. France also attempted to unite the region by suppressing culture, and they attempted to assimilate Cambodians into a very French system, which makes it seem like all the stuff in Angkor Wat was more performative than it was an actual heightening of culture for Cambodia. During World War II, and in 1941 specifically, Japan conquered Cambodia and occupied the land. The Japanese occupation indirectly contributed to the rise of Khmer Islak, a Cambodian nationalist movement that sought independence from everyone. The Japanese also placed Norodom Shihunuk on the throne as a last-ditch effort against the French before defeat. After World War II, Cambodia wanted nothing to do with a foreign ruler, so the movement for independence began. Despite this, the French reinstated their control of Cambodia once World War II was over. The French allowed Cambodians to draft their constitution and create political parties for the short time that they were in power. And it would be in 1946, pretty much right after the war, that the first Indochina War began, and it was fought until 1953. It was triggered by a communist move against the Vietnamese government. During the war, parts of Cambodia were nabbed by Vietnam's communist force. The Khmer Isfak was a nationalist movement that sought independence from both French and Japanese rule. It gained momentum during the Japanese occupation and remained so until after World War II. From this point, the French sought to reestablish their colonial control of all of Indochina, which was heavily resisted by the Cambodian nationalists. And of course, King Norodom Sihanouk played a significant role in Cambodia's move toward independence because he was the one to sit in all the meetings between the French, the Japanese, and the Cambodian people. And he was able to work with the French and the Vietnamese to both, he was able to work with the French and the Vietnamese forces that both tried to control Cambodia. And because of this, he was actually able to negotiate for independence and is seen as the sole figure behind independence. So the official date for Cambodia to become independent is November 9th, 1953. King Norodom Sihanouk was widely praised for this achievement. He also became the first head of state for the independent nation. The First Indochina War ended at the Geneva Accords of 1954. And the king wanted to be involved in the politics of the country, so he gave his father the throne while he earned political merit. He became prime minister 
until 1960, when the death of his father caused him to return to the throne. Sihanouk kept Cambodia neutral during the Cold War and refused to tolerate airstrikes or military interaction with the United States during the Vietnam War. However, in 1965, Sihanouk allowed the North and South Vietnamese soldiers to take refuge and create camps in Cambodia. And at the same time, the Cambodian Communist Party of Kampuchea, or CPK, rose up against the government, and this started the Cambodian Civil War. It broke out in 1968 and was fought until 1975. Sihanouk made ties with the U.S. to protect himself from these forces. In 1969, the U.S. started to bomb Cambodia because of the communist Vietnamese camps on the border. In 1970, while King Sihanouk was abroad, a coup took place in Cambodia. It was led by General Lon Nol. The coup was supported by parts of the Cambodian military. This coup effectively ended Sihanouk's rule. General Lon Nol took power in Cambodia for himself. The coup was driven by several factors, including the concern that Sihanouk was pro-communist and was lenient towards the communist insurgency. The United States also supported this coup as it sought to eliminate the perceived threats of communism. This is what the U.S. is doing globally. It was doing it in South America, Central America, the Caribbean. It was doing it all across Asia, too. Any chance they could get to stand up and fight communism, they would do it, no matter if it was wanted or not. And despite being exiled, Sihanouk still formed alliances and challenged the government heavily. And this was the start of the Rouge. Sihanouk joined forces with the North Vietnamese and formed the Khmer Rouge, and also formed an alliance with CPK. Sihanouk led the forces against Lon Nol's government and gained a lot of territorial control. Eventually, Lon Nol and his people were defeated, and the Khmer Rouge conquered Phnom Penh. The Khmer Rouge was established as the communist power in Cambodia. The leader of the Rouge was General Salath Sar. He commanded the urbanists to move to the rural areas to farm. And Commander Sar actually rose to power over time and began to lead the country under his party, the Democratic Kampuchea. Once he became leader of Cambodia, he became known as Pol Pot. Pol Pot is one of the most disgusting men who have ever walked this earth. So to go back in this man's history, Pol Pot was born in Cambodia and studied internationally in Paris. He would be influenced by the ideals of Marxism and brought them back to Cambodia when he left. His reign as prime minister was nothing short of horrific. And the reason that I'm going to emphasize it so much is because of that, but I also need to say this. Because of the fact that King Narodam Sihanouk was exiled and worked directly alongside Pol Pot, who at the time was by the name Saluth Sar, it meant that the king that everyone praises and gives a lot of credit to for 1900s history of Cambodia is the exact reason that the worst man to ever rule the country got the power. So keep that in mind as we talk about both men for the future of this episode. So some of the crazy laws that Pol Pot did as prime minister was he outlawed all religions in order to promote atheism because he believed that any connection to religion was weakness. He believed the best way to live was as the old Cambodians did, in an agrarian society. He moved thousands of people out of the city and forced them to become the labor force on farms. There was no freedom of speech or resistance to the government. The illiterate government leaders tried to expand their ignorance nationwide. Food was regulated, and it starved many to death. He was also stoutly against Western creations, which included modern medicine. He also created killing fields for those that resisted the governments and executed people daily. Intellectuals were specifically targeted as they were the enemies of the state that could actually challenge him. Pol Pot's regime also targeted ethnic Vietnamese and Chinese people as enemies of the state. They were also routinely exiled or executed. So in the end, the starvation, forced labor, lack of medicine, and endless murders in the killing fields caused around 2 million deaths, which was nearly a quarter of the population at the time. Things got so bad that Pol Pot's regime caused the average lifespan of a Cambodian to be only 13 years. People were being killed so routinely at 
the end of their lives that the average age dropped heavily and people were not surviving two decades in the country. Internationally, Pol Pot got greedy, and he ordered the invasion of Vietnam in 1978. This was stupid because Vietnam was not only larger as an army, but was more honed in battle after the Vietnam War. So Vietnam invaded in the same year. Pol Pot fled before Vietnam captured the capital. And just to jump ahead a little to kind of end what happened there, Pol Pot was actually placed under house arrest once he returned to Cambodia by the new person in power, and he was pretty much starved out there and died in his home in 1998. And just to jump back a little, by early 1979, Vietnamese forces, together with the Cambodian communist fighters, formerly part of the Khmer Rouge but opposed to Pol Pot, captured Phnom Penh and effectively ended the Khmer Rouge. The Khmer Rouge retreated to the border area and continued to resist the Vietnamese-backed government. This was when millions of landmines were placed in the country, because the hope was that any Vietnamese that marched to this far-off area that was the escape route for the Khmer Rouge, they would be killed by mines, but most of these were not set off and are still active today. And after the Vietnamese intervention, a pro-Vietnamese government known as the People's Republic of Kampuchea was established in Cambodia, with Hung Samrin as the head of state. Control by this party lasted until 1992. Throughout the occupation, clashes between the remaining Khmer Rouge and the PRK forces happened every day. After years of international negotiations, an agreement was reached in Paris that paved the way for the withdrawal of Vietnamese forces from Cambodia. The United Nations established the United Nations Transitional Authority in Cambodia, UNTAC, to oversee the country's transition to peace. The UNTAC held elections and supervised the registration of refugees coming back into the country. UNTAC organized Cambodia's first free elections in 1993. Prince Norodom Sihanouk, yes, the exact same man that was powerful as king before and was also part of the resistance movement that pushed out General Noll, all that, the same exact Norodom Sihanouk was prince at the time once that Pol Pot regime came in because he wasn't king, all the power lied within Pol Pot, but he was still a prince. He was able to return to power and serve as king once again. He returned to power in 1993 and the monarchy was reestablished with a new constitution. And following the overthrow of the Khmer Rouge, this is when a man named Hun Sen, who took power in the country for a long time, actually came to prominence. And some things about him was that he was foreign minister and a few other major positions throughout the 1980s in Cambodia. And he was prime minister in 1987. During this period, Cambodia was still dealing with the aftermath of the Khmer Rouge and the Civil War. And in 1993, after the elections made constitutional changes and put Norodom Sihanouk on the kingly throne, the prime minister elections were held as well, and that is when Hun Sen became Cambodia's first co-prime minister under a power-sharing agreement with Prince Norodom Ranarida. In 1997, Hun Sen led a coup that ousted his co-prime minister, Prince Ranarida, and eliminated a significant political rival. Hun Sen became the sole prime minister of Cambodia from this point until the 2020s. He consolidated power and oversaw a de facto one-party state under the Cambodian People's Party. His time in power was very authoritarian, and he led the country to instability in politics. The instability made the economy pretty stagnant throughout Hun Sen's 20-year tenure. There was an election held in 2018 that seemed more open, but further investigation revealed intimidation, removal of opposition, and voting fraud was present. After the election, Hun Sen and his party, the Cambodian People's Party, tightly held power and repressed the opposition. His rule did not end until August of 2023, when he passed the leadership of the country to his son, Hun Manet. Hun Manet is still a question mark as he is the leader of Cambodia 
Many predict that he will rule things very similar to his father, but there are some that hope there will be much more democratic ideals and changes nationwide. And that gets us to the present, where the country is deeply ripe with corruption. Even the current leader was chosen by nepotism, not the people. There is widespread poverty, and the nation is deeply in struggle economically, and clearly, politically. So it's fair to say Cambodia is not in a great place, but there is hope. The tourism industry itself is being cultivated heavily, and tourist numbers have increased a lot even since 2020. And with that being said, that gets us to the end, where I was to do a takeaway or a mindset that I can pull from the history. And with Cambodia, that is, simply put, never settle. Cambodians have embodied this throughout their history. They've had many different kingdoms, kings, emperors, rulers, colonial powers, all sorts like that take power. Sometimes it was evil men like Pol Pot. Sometimes it was selfish men like Hun Sen. Sometimes it was whole empires like the French. No matter what the scenario has been, Cambodia has always worked around it and be it through King Norodom or be it through the protests and fighting of the people, they've never settled for a rule that they didn't like. Even if it lasted longer than it should have, the Cambodian people were always trying to resist it and refused to settle for less than they deserved. That's why they're at a place now where things are hopefully shifting, they've been able to develop some systems, and the economy could hopefully adjust in the future after ages of very dictatorial rule. I say you can apply a lot of that stuff to yourself because you shouldn't settle. No one should settle for less. It doesn't matter if it's in your relationship or if it's in your job, your pay, your happiness, whatever it is, there's going to be a way for you to continue to fight back against whatever system is kicking your ass. Be it that, you know, school's hard, you have a bad boss, you're in a bad relationship, whatever it is, you do have to fight against that. And sometimes that does look like leaving things, ending things, changing scenarios, or it could look like just adjusting and working around it. So whatever it is, do it because there is no world where you need to be settling for any less than you deserve much like Cambodians have refused to do their whole history. So with that being said, that is our actual, actual end, where I just want to sign off for you guys. And this was a fun one. Cambodia's history is very unique, and that's just one of those countries never covered. It's in a weird area of the world that, you know, Western media overlooks a lot, especially since there's been wars there and all that. And, you know, it's fun to actually dive deep. So I just want to say thank you all so much for listening. And one more time, my name is Reese Karolinski. This is Young History. And that was Cambodia. You guys have a good one.